Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Beaches Chapel Online. We're excited to join you this morning for what will be our last online only service. That's right. Next Sunday, we will be joining together again on Sunday, May 24th. We're so excited about that. But there are some changes that we're doing that we need you to be aware of. And so please pay attention to the following things. Uh, first and foremost, we're going to be having two services next Sunday, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. The reason being is we can't have more than 134 people in the room at a time, at least not for now. And so what we're doing is we're having two services to um, just help in that. So you can come to either one. You don't need an RSVP or anything like that. Just choose which one you want to come to and show up then. Uh, we also need to tell you that there's not going to be any nursery or any kids church for either one of these services. So you're, all the families are going to be together during this entire service. We are shortening the service to help that. We know kids have a shorter attention span. So the services are going to be a little bit shorter um, to help out in all that. Really, we have all the details mapped out for you in the, in the church email we sent out on Thursday, so you can uh, read that. If you didn't get the email or just you know, forgot you can, or have other questions, you can call our church office at 904-241-4211, or you can email us at info at beacheschapel.com. But again, that's next Sunday, May 24th. Uh, we will be having church in our building. But I also want to say this, if you are sick or you're just not really ready yet to join everybody together, you still don't feel quite safe enough, that's fine. You can stay home and you can watch online. We will be streaming both of those services so you can just kind of continue to have church the way that we've been having these past few weeks. Listen, we want to make sure that everyone is safe and feels safe. And so if you don't feel safe coming, then by all means, stay home. We also want to just let everybody know that between the services, we will have our maintenance crew who has been doing an incredible job. They've been headed up by Bryce Carmichael, our head of maintenance, and they're going to be cleaning the sanctuary from top to bottom between the 9 a.m. service and the 11 a.m. service. And uh, so that way, everything is just spick and span and germ-free for the 11 o'clock service as well as the 9 o'clock service. So we're excited about that. Again, if you have any questions or anything like that, you can call us or email us uh, this week. Um, everything else in terms of what's happening on the campus is going to remain to be closed. Uh, you know, in terms of Wednesday night meetings with the kids and youth, that still is on hold, but that's going to be coming soon. So we're excited about that. Um, right now, why don't we go ahead and pray over our tithes and our offerings. Uh, if you uh, you know, aren't uh, familiar with Beaches Chapel, listen, we, we believe in giving to the Lord. We believe in, in, in sowing into His kingdom. And so we believe in tithes. We don't back down from it. It's something that allows us to grow in our trust with the Lord and allows us to trust Him in the thing that is one of the most strenuous things in our lives, and that is our finances. That is the money that we have. So we give that to Him. And by doing so, not only are we sowing into the kingdom, we're saying, here, God, here's the thing that I hold closest to me in a lot of ways, and I'm entrusting it with you. And there's nothing more powerful than seeing God take our finances in His control and doing with them more things than we ever thought possible. So that is one reason why we tithe. And so I just wanted to say that this morning. If you're new to listening to us and seeing us, then that's what Beaches Chapel is all about. And so we don't shy away from it. Um, and in fact, we celebrate tithes and we celebrate offerings and the opportunity to give to Jesus uh, with not just our time and our abilities, but also our money. Uh, you can give online. You can go to our website, beacheschapel.com. Just click on the Give tab, and uh, that'll walk you through it through our app. You can give that way as well. Or if you would like to drive up this week to our church office, we still have our locked mailbox outside uh, that is designated for tithes and offerings. Drop that off between 10 and 2 p.m., 
and it'll be collected every day. So we just, again, want to thank everyone that's been faithful to tie, that's been faithful to give during these very strenuous times. I know a lot of people um, are, are tight with their money right now. And so, listen, it is, it is uh, humbling. It's very humbling that our church continues to give to Beaches Chapel. We are beyond grateful. So anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our tithes that we are giving to you today, for our offerings, Father, for, the, for what you've blessed us with, God. We say, here it is back to you. We know, God, that every good thing comes from you. God, we know that you are our provider. God, we know that you can do more with our finances than we ever thought possible. And so, Father, right now, Jesus, we give these things to you both gladly, humbly, God, and also with expectation that you're going to do with it for your kingdom as well as for our own homes. And so we thank you for that. God, I pray for all those right now, Jesus, who are struggling financially, who are having a hard time making uh, ends meet, God, that you would show yourself faithful to them right now in Jesus' name. God, multiply their finances, multiply everything that they have going for them, God. I pray that you would give them new avenues to make money, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you are going to be true to your word, Lord, and you are going to prove over and over again that you are for us and not against us, and you are going to meet every need. God, give us this day our daily bread. That's what we ask, God, that you would provide for us today. Thank you for that, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we bless you, and we bless these tithes and these offerings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and get started with our series. This morning, we are continuing on the Beatitudes, and it's been awesome. And uh, this is one of, I, I feel like I say this every week, but I mean it every time I say it. I am excited about this Beatitude, and this one might just be my favorite. Um, it's out of Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 8, and it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, you know, as I was working on this, I, you know, I, it got to the point where I realized we could have done a whole series on this beatitude alone. I mean, there was so much packed in this short verse, but we're going to try and just walk through and, and hit some points today. And I hope it challenges you. I hope it opens all of our eyes a little bit and, um, and really just pushes, pushes us as a church in the right direction. And, you know, when I, when I think of this, this beatitude, when I read it, you know, it, it, uh, it kind of just makes me feel warm inside. That word pure is such a sweet and kind word. It's, it's soft, you know, and, and so when I read this, there's just kind of that warm, fuzzy feeling that I get um, in, in my heart and in my soul and as I consider this, but it's also, we need to know it's also very challenging, and, and you know, I'm not sure that the church talks about purity enough, and I'm not talking about in a sexual way necessarily, but in, in all sorts of ways, being pure is, is, uh, is a high call, and what we see in the world is purity is being thrown to the wolves, all right? The, the world is, is anything but pure. And I think we can just look at that alone and see the importance of why we need to be pure because the world is going the complete opposite direction of purity. It's advertising against purity. It's standing against purity. And, and Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount, in this beatitude, he's saying, no, no, no. If you're pure in heart, you're not only, you're, you're gonna see God. I mean, what, what an amazing promise that's, that is. So let's kind of, let, let's just dissect this whole thing and spend some time talking about purity this morning. I'm excited about it. Um, I'll try and contain my excitement as best I can. But I want to kick off with, with a, a quick little look at Esther. And we talked about Esther actually a few weeks ago when looking at a different beatitude. But I want to look again. I just want to glimpse at it, okay? And I'm going to paraphrase the story of Esther for us real quick, quickly this morning. And 
The story of Esther starts out with King Xerxes. He's the king of Persia and he's banished his queen. He's he's kicked her out because uh, she didn't do what he wanted him to do, which was not a pure thing. I'll just leave it at that. But uh, he, she didn't, she said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to parade myself around you and all your friends and have you gawk at me and all this stuff, which is basically what he was wanting her to do. And so he banishes her. He said, you're not my king anymore based on the advice of those around him. And now he's fast forward a couple years. He needs a queen. And so what they have decided in Persia in order to get him a queen is to have basically a, what I call a bachelor on steroids. If you're familiar with the show, The Bachelor, right? That's where The Bachelor is derived from the story of Esther, I'm telling you. But it's, it's, it's way over the top. It's way more than even the show, which I don't watch, by the way, uh, is, is all about. So what they do is they bring 400 uh, virgins from all around the provinces of Persia. There's 127 provinces. It's a huge nation, the biggest nation in all of the world at the time. And they are all going to spend a year in this harem in the capital of Persia, in this city called Susa. And they're going to learn what it means to please the king. They're going to they're gonna have all the perfumes and all the ointments and all the beauty project, products that are available at the time at their disposal. And for a year, they are going to prepare for one night with the king to, so that he can choose if he likes you or not, and then maybe you'll be the queen. I mean, this is what's going on. And lo and behold, Esther is one of the girls that is chosen to take part in this whole process of becoming the queen. But the thing about Esther is, well, she is beautiful, but she's humble. She's sweet. She's Jewish in a Persian land, and she's pure. She's very pure. And and we know this by this. I'm not even going to read a full verse from the story of Esther. I'm going to read half of a verse. But this half of a verse tells us everything that we need to know about people who are pure. Okay, and it says this in Esther chapter 2, uh, verse 15. And what's happening in here is Esther is being led to the king. All right, it is her turn. And, and just, just kind of picture, if you will, this huge place, right? And this girl is, is kind of walking down so, the aisle, so to speak, not to the king, but to his palace. And everyone is busy doing their work. And then it's like the record stops, okay? And they all just turn and they look at her as she is going to the king. And this is what it says in Esther chapter two, verse 15. It says, and Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Everyone who saw her. It doesn't say that everyone that got to know her, everyone that spoke with her. It just says that everyone who saw her, when they looked at her, as she's walking towards the king's palace, as she's exiting this harem, everyone turns and they look at her. And everyone that looks at her, it says they had favor with her. They, they like, they, they just, they're like, yeah, she's the one. Why? Because purity sticks out like a sore thumb. Okay. When there is purity in the midst of grossness, all right, which is what was happening here. This whole process of becoming the queen was a gross process. And then there's this girl whose name is Esther, who is pure and she she cuts through all the grossness and everyone turns and they see her and they find favor with her and it sticks out like a sore thumb. And I want to say to you parents out there that are watching right now, you need to pray purity over your children every single day, every single day, because that 
is going to be the attraction. When, when, our, when our kids get old enough to where they get to the point where they're ready to be married, the, the attraction is going to be purity. Listen, I, I'm being honest with you. I have three daughters. I pray the spirit of Esther over them every day. Every time I pray for them, I pray purity over them because that is what sticks out like a sore thumb. That is what true attraction is all about. Not the other stuff that the world says. Purity is what draws attraction. That is what it's all about in parents, not just for girls, but boys as well. We need to be praying purity over our children. It is huge. It is everything. So if you're not doing that, I encourage you, start today. Speak that over your kids right now. And if you don't have kids, speak it out over the kids that you do know. Because it is a huge, huge thing. Okay, I'm going I'm I'm to end it on that one. But, you know, it's just, it's just awesome to think about purity in that way. Listen, it doesn't, need grand, it's, it's not, it doesn't need grand entrance, right? It doesn't need a loud announcement. Purity speaks for itself. Okay, it doesn't need to be advertised. It speaks for itself. It speaks for itself. It sticks out like a sore thumb. I love that. You know, the thing about this beatitude that is, that is challenging is it is a matter of the heart, right? It says pure in heart, and there's no, which means there's no faking it. We can't fake our heart with God. We can fake things with people all the time. We can put on masks. We can, we can look this way and that way and put a smile on our face and act like everything's okay. But when it comes to matters of the heart, we cannot fake it with God. We cannot fake it. And that's why this beatitude is so challenging, but also so awesome. David uh, says in Psalms 139, verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David understood, like, look, this is not about faking it on the outside. That might work for people. You might be great at it with people, but know that you ain't faking God. And so when David prays this prayer in Psalms 139, he's saying, know my heart, God, search me, get this stuff out of me. Why? Because he wanted a pure heart. He didn't want a fake heart, all right? He didn't want, he didn't want to be pretending all the time. He wanted God to look in his heart and say, search me so that I don't have to fake it. I don't want to have to fake it. You know, it doesn't say blessed are the pure in action, blessed are the pure in words, or the, blessed are the pure in religion, or blessed are the pure who tithe, who, who give of their talents and serve and all this. No, it doesn't say all that. It says blessed are the pure in heart. And the reason it says that versus all those other things is because you can do all those other things. You can, you can have the best actions. You can speak the best words. You can tithe every Sunday. You can go to church walking backwards in the snow and in the rain, uphill, both ways. And it's all for naught because we do it begrudgingly, because we have the wrong motives, because we have the wrong heart. We can do all those things and not have the right heart. And it's all for naught. We need a pure Heart. Proverbs 16, verse 2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So we need to kind of be checking ourselves right now as, as we're talking about this. What are our motives for why we do the things that we do? Is it to please man or is it to please God? Is it to check things off the list and make us feel like really good Christians? I know I did this, that, and the other. But in our hearts, we're doing it all, gritting our teeth begrudgingly with a terrible attitude. If we are, it's all for naught. It's all for naught. 
We're wasting our time. And the best example of this is found in Matthew chapter 23. I encourage you to go read it. It's long. It's awesome. It's Jesus being the toughest of tough guys. And I love it. And he's talking to the Pharisees who are a prime example of doing everything for works and everything out of boast, but having the wrong heart. And you know what he says to them? He says, woe to you. He says, woe eight times in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees. Woe is a sense of deep anguish and sorrow over what they're doing. He says, woe to you, you hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites, I think like seven times. He even goes so far as to call them a brood of vipers, okay? Vipers are snakes. And I don't think I need to explain too much the analogy of snake, what a snake is in the Bible. I think we're all pretty clear about that. If you're not, then go read uh, Genesis in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus calls these Pharisees out and the Pharisees were all about show. Right? They, were, they were all about themselves. But listen, a pure heart is all about God's glory, not your own. And the Pharisees wanted glory for themselves. They wanted, they wanted everything to be about themselves, but a pure heart brings God glory, not ourselves. And so Jesus, the Bible dedicates an entire chapter to Jesus talking to the Pharisees and saying, you're doing it wrong. All this stuff that you're doing, you're, that you're patting yourself on the back for, is all wrong. And he calls them out and he says, don't be like them. Their, their whole platform was be like us. Jesus said, no, don't be like them. Why? Because he saw their heart and he saw their motives and it was anything but pure. It was anything but pure. He's not impressed with our actions. Jesus is not impressed with our actions if our heart is not in lockstep with them. Otherwise, it's just for show. Otherwise, it's just for other people. Now, I want to say this too. This is an important thing to, to understand. A pure heart does not mean a perfect heart. A pure heart does not mean a perfect heart. If God was after a perfect heart, he never would have had to send Jesus. He just would have sat back on his throne in heaven with his arms folded and said, all right, I'm going to see who can be perfect. Nope, not you. Oh, that didn't take long. Not you either. Oh, not you. And so we get so wrapped up in trying to be perfect that it eventually turns to works and all of a sudden we become like the Pharisees and our motives aren't about loving the Lord. They're about trying to be perfect, which we can't be. That's why he sent Jesus. And so he's not after a perfect heart. He's after a pure heart. And the best example of this, and we're gonna kind of jump around, is David. The story of David to me is the best example of how Jesus is not after a perfect heart, but he is after a pure heart. And so I want to look and kind of set the stage for the story of David, what we're going to look at with him. And, and we're, we're going to start with uh, Samuel is talking to King Saul at the time. And what he's telling King Saul, Samuel is a prophet, a prophet of God, and he's going to, to King Saul and he's saying, look, your time's up. All right, your time as king is up. We've anoint, I'm anointing someone else to be the next king. Your replacement is underway and I'm just letting you know. And this is what Samuel says to King Saul. All right, on behalf of God, Samuel is God's mouthpiece. So the words that he's saying are God's words here. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, it says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So we see here that God has called David, a man after his own heart. Samuel didn't say that. Another person didn't say that. David didn't say that. God said that. And why was God able to say that? Because God knows our hearts. And he could look at David, though he was not perfect, and say, he is a man after my own heart. 
Okay, and that's what a pure heart is. A pure heart is after God's heart. A pure heart is after his heart. And, you know, if you're not familiar with the story of David, there's, there's all sorts of stuff. He's an amazing study. It's a long study. But there's really two main highlights of this story of David's life. And they could not be more different. All right, they are polar opposites. And the first one is the story of David killing Goliath, this giant Philistine. And he goes out and he's bold on, and he's speaking on behalf of God. He's like, I'm going to kill you, Goliath. It's awesome. It's a great scene. He takes a slingshot, takes a stone, hits him right in the head, cuts off Goliath's head, shows it to everybody. It's, a, it's an amazing scene. It'll pump you up, get you all fired up to do things for the Lord. And then there's the other scene in his life, the, main, the other highlight. And it's the opposite. David commits adultery with a married woman. He has her husband killed. They, uh, he ends up impregnating her during the affair. The baby dies. All right. Total misstep by David. I mean, listen, he sinned before that, but this one is a doozy. All right. And so we have these two total, total polar opposite events in his life. And, you know, you can, you can sit here and you can beat David up over and over. And you can even go back to 1 Samuel 13 and say, how could God say this? How could he say he's a man after God's heart when he did this heinous act? He had an affair and then he tried to cover it up. Well, this is why. Because once David is confronted with this sin from the prophet Nathan, he repents like that immediately. And we need to understand that a pure heart repents Pure heart repents. In fact, repentance is what gets us to have a pure heart in the first place. That, that's, that's what it's all about. And if, you know, and so we need to understand this, this idea of being perfect is not what God is after because he knows we'll never be. But what a pure heart does is looks our own sin in the face and rather than try and cover it up, rather than try and push it aside, rather than try and bury it in the depths of our heart, we put it before God and we say, God, I'm sorry. Here's what I've done wrong. And I repent. I repent. You know, and there's, it's funny, you know, when you, when you begin to walk with the Lord, the, the, the motives for not doing things kind of change over time because at the beginning, we operate a lot in fear, right? I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid of getting caught. I'm afraid of the consequences. And so rather than, you know, doing it just because we don't, we don't want to, we, we do it for other reasons, right? And, you know, honestly, like I, I would, and as a parent, I'm saying like, if, if that's how my daughters start out, you know, not doing things that are wrong, I'm okay with that. But eventually I would hope that they would not do those things because they just don't want to do them because they're not tempted anymore. And that's kind of the progression that we have as we repent over things. We initially might not do things because we're afraid of them. Uh, we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of getting caught. And so we don't do that. But eventually those reasons for not doing things aren't enough and we will end up doing those things. But as we repent, as we have that pure heart and we want to please God, what, what eventually starts to happen is those things aren't a temptation anymore. We don't have to repent for those anymore. Why? Because our heart has changed. Our motives for not doing them have changed. We're not concerned with being caught anymore. It's just that those things are distasteful to us. They don't, they're not a temptation anymore. They're disgusting to us. And so we don't do them because again, our heart is pure and it's after the Lord, not after the things of ourselves. Okay. Um, you know, if you really want a good gauge 
of what your heart is like, it's really not hard. If you, if you want to understand, like, as, as we're talking about this and we're talking about our heart, you know, God, what, what is my heart like? Search my heart. What is my heart? Uh, what is the condition of my heart now? It's really easy. All you have to do is listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Not other people's words, your own words. You want to know what your heart is like. Listen to how you talk about other people, about this country, about our church or your neighbors or your family members or whomever, about the Lord. Listen to what you say, and that will be a great indicator of, the, of what your heart condition is like. And um, it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So again, we see here, it's not about actions. It's not about all what we do. It's about what is in our heart. And out of the mouth, the heart speaks. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And a pure heart produces pure words. Pure hearts produce pure words. Simple as that. And so if you want to gauge where you're at, just listen to how you talk. And I encourage you to do so. Take these next few days and really listen to what you say. All right. Listen to what you say, both um, in hard times and in good, in plenty and in want. Listen to what you say and even how you say it. And you might, you know, spend this week really having to stop talk, talking, right? And it's like, oh, I'm going to, and then you stop. But you know what? That's okay. Because eventually, like we were just talking about a second ago, you're not going to want to talk like that anymore. But it's going to t- take listening to yourself first. And listen, that's, uh, that's as challenging to me as it is to anybody. Uh, and it's tough, you know, but it really, if we're, if we're serious about looking at our heart, look at your words first. Um, but, you know, when I, to be honest with you, when I first read this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The, the pure in, uh, in heart wasn't really what stuck out to me. What stuck out to me was the promise that Jesus says that we will see God. If, you, if, if we are pure in heart, we will see God. And, I, and, and, and I'm going to ask you what I asked myself when I read this. What does it mean to see God? What does that mean? Because to me, Jesus is contradicting scripture here. If we take it in the literal sense that we will see God, then, then what he is saying is contradictory to what has been written, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Because if we read Exodus 33, verse 20, it says, but you may not look directly at my face. God's talking here for no one may see me and live. So God's making it very clear. You can't look at me and live. So what does Jesus mean here? Well, that's Old Testament, James. Maybe that's just an Old Testament law and things change when Jesus comes. Well, it says in John chapter 6, New Testament here, verse 46, it says, Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. Okay, so again, Jesus is telling us here, only I can see him. Okay, so if he says in John 5, you will see God, but then in John 6, he says, only I can see God. What does it mean to see God? And there's all sorts of answers we can give. If, you, if you've talked to anybody that's been walking with the Lord for a long time and has a pure heart and you ask them, hey, do you see God? I guarantee you they will say, absolutely, I see God. Absolutely. 
we, you know, we are privileged here in, in Jacksonville, especially if you live at the beach, to be super close to one of God's most awesome creations, the ocean. It is massive. It is beautiful. It's powerful. Um, you know, people, they play in the ocean. They, they have weddings at the beach. They're, I mean, it's just because it's just this amazing sight to behold. And we can see God in his creation, in the ocean. And, it, you know, if you're watching this and you don't live at the beach, I'm sure there's somewhere where you live that you can see, whether it's the mountains or, you know, the valleys or, or just the fields that, that produce this amazing creation, the animals that God's created. I mean, we see God when we open our eyes, when we're in tune with God, when we're in tune with God, our eyes are open to the things around us that he's done. You know, it, I'm sure all of us have been uh, sitting outside at night, especially if you've ever are away from the city and you're in the woods and you look up in the sky and you see all the stars in the sky and how magnific magnificent they are and how, how many there are. And you just marvel at the wonder of God. In those moments when our hearts are in tune with God and we see the stars in the sky, we're seeing God and we're in awe of Him. We're in awe of Him. But I, I believe that the best way that we see God when we have a pure heart is not in the stars as amazing as they are, is not, not in the mountains as marvelous as they are or the oceans and how incredible they are. But when we have a pure heart, how we see God the most is in other people. It's in other people. And this is why I say that. I'm not just making this up. All right, I say that because of what we read in Genesis 1 verse 27, where it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In all of his creation, nothing says that it is in the image of God except mankind. So when we want to see God the most, when we want to see him the most, as Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, in this beatitude we're talking about this morning, when we want to see God the most, it's not in his creation. It's not in the beauty of the ocean or the stars in the sky. It's in other people. Because we, mankind, man and female, male and female, all of us are created in God's image. Not one, not one people group or the other, but all of mankind. And look, I, I want to address this because it's been in the news recently, um, the issue of, of racism uh, in this country. And it's not far from us where it occurred in a very heinous way up in Georgia uh, a couple weeks ago. It, it came to light. And, you know, as I was considering that and, and considering what to say, what, what came on me, and, you know, and I want to be pure in heart as I say this, because I want to say it with the right motives and the right intention. And that's for us to love other people is to look at other people and, and to understand, look, church, if, if we are not leading the charge and loving our neighbors, then shame on us. Shame on us. If we are not at the forefront of loving people that don't look like us, because what we read here, when God was creating everything, it says that he was creating mankind in his image. All right. Not what you look like in his image or not what your best friend looks like, but all of us, all of the world. And so we need to be leading the charge in loving our neighbors more than anybody else. And how do we do that? 
We do that by having a pure heart, by, by going after the Lord and seeing, seeing other people the way that God sees people. And I want to, I want to read this. I, I really kind of went back and forth on whether I should, but I'm going to, because I think it, it brings to remembrance really how God sees people. Okay. And it's long. And so just bear with me, but it's out of Acts chapter 10, starting in verse nine. And this is the story of Peter. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to let the text speak for itself. Acts chapter 10, verse nine, it says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And this is, this is Peter's reaction. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So he's, he's going against what God is telling him right here. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Okay, so let's skip down to verse 19. It says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, the Holy Spirit said, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. So Peter gets these instructions to go with these men. He doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know where they're going, right? He says, go with them. He says, okay. So skip down to verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Okay, so Cornelius is not Jewish. He is a Gentile, all right? And Peter is called to go there. And this is what Peter's reaction is in verse 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. So this is the custom. This is the law of the Jewish people to not associate with or to visit with a Gentile. So Peter is breaking the law right here. He is going against everything by being in their house. And it says this, listen, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Skip down to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even, I love that language, even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely, no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Okay, so here we have this story of Peter going into this house that was totally against all law and customs of the Jewish people. And he says this thing that we almost laugh at now, but if we put ourselves in Peter's shoes, God is take, you know, taking the blindfold off of him. And, and Peter is realizing for the first time, Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He really came for everyone. He came for all of us. And it says in here that it, was, it is made clear that God doesn't show favoritism. Okay, so if God doesn't show favoritism, why in the world would we? And here's what we need to understand. The pure of heart see people the way God sees his people. 
as his children. God sees all people as his children and a pure heart sees people the same way. And listen, I'm gonna break it down even more. And I'm sorry if this offends you, but if Jesus had just stayed and ministered the people that looked like him and talked like him and were the same area as him, if Jesus had just come for the Jews, all of us that aren't, we'd be going to hell. We would be going to hell if Jesus just stuck to the people that looked and sounded and talked like him. That's the truth of the matter. If you weren't Jewish, and even today, that's it. But he said, no, I'm coming for everybody because you were all created in my image. All of mankind, male and female, all in my image. And so we need to, with our pure hearts after God, see people the way that God sees people as his children. You know, the thing that a pure heart does more than anything else, is it takes away all the muck in our hearts, all that junk that is of the world, that is of the devil, all the lies, all the frustrations, and it removes it. A, a pure heart is a light heart. A pure heart is not a, is not a heavy, burdensome heart. And I want to read this quote I read. It says, the pure of heart received the most wonderful reward. They shall enjoy greater intimacy with God than they could have ever imagined. The polluting sins of covetousness, oppression, lust, and chosen deception have a definite blinding effect upon a person. And the one pure of heart is freer, is free from those pollutions. So hate, regret, uh, religion, all those things, when we seek after God, when we say, God, you know, search my heart, search my heart. What we're saying is clean out all that, all that muck, all that junk, all that grossness. I want a pure heart. I want to stop. I want to stop seeing people in a way that's not the way you see people. I want to stop being religious and only coming to church because I feel like I have to, but in my heart the whole time, I would rather be somewhere else all the time. I want to stop talking about people in, in, in a certain way in my mouth, producing these words that that I don't like, all of that begins with a pure heart. And let me tell you something, church, if we as a, as a family and as a body collectively have a pure heart, we will stick out like a sore thumb in the, mix, in the midst of grossness. We will stick out. And you know what? We're not gonna have to advertise anything at all. We're not gonna have to have a grand music. And that's not to say that we don't invite people to church or anything like that. I'm just saying that it'll speak for itself. Okay, the, the, the love of Jesus will speak for itself when the church has a pure heart. And it takes effort. It takes repentance. It takes when we mess up, going to God immediately and saying, God, forgive me of this over and over. But that's what a pure heart does. A pure heart loves, a pure heart repents, a pure heart sees people the way God sees people. A pure heart doesn't talk behind people's back. A pure heart sees God. A pure heart sees God. And we know that because Jesus himself told us that. And again, like we do every Sunday, I want to give you the opportunity for those of you that have maybe been trying everything in your own power, been trying to come to church and trying to do the right thing, been falling, 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 failing, failing, failing over and over. It's because you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior. Listen, the only way to have a pure heart is through Jesus. That's it. We're all too, too big of a mess to do it on our own. We have, 
to have Jesus. And we, when we turn our lives over to him, all that junk that we've been carrying around in our hearts, the things that maybe no one else knows about, not even, not even your best friend or your spouse or whomever, they don't know about it, but you do. And you want to be set free from all that. The way to do it is through Jesus because he will lead you on that path to a pure heart. And when we mess up, he will be quick to forgive you when you repent. When you say, God, I'm sorry. Say, it's okay. This is a journey. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you there. It's not about operating in fear. It's about, it's about following after me. And those things that, that you, you, don't, you don't do only because you're afraid of getting caught, trust me, you're not going to want to do them one day. It's all through Jesus. And so I want to I give you that opportunity this morning. I want to give you that opportunity this morning to accept Jesus and to start your journey on that pure heart, getting rid of all that stuff. So if you would, why don't you bow your head with me and just repeat this prayer after me. And then, and then we're going to pray uh, together as well. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again for me. I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins and create in me a pure heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so um, I want to close with this verse and I want to pray it this morning for all of us. And it's out of Psalms 51.10. And this is, uh, this is a verse that I pray all the time, especially when I can tell I'm going down a, you know, a, a thought road that we all have. And I'll just try and stop and pray this. And, and it definitely pertains to today. And uh, so why don't we all just bow our heads? I'm going to pray Psalms 51:10 over all of us. And I, I'd encourage you to pray this yourself uh, every day if you, you know, if you feel led, but it's a powerful prayer. Father, create in us a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within us, God. Lord, we need your help when it comes to having a pure heart, Lord, it can be a tall order at times. And we fail a lot because we're sinners, we're selfish, we mess up, we're forgetful. And before we know it, God, our hearts are anything but pure, whether it's towards a person or towards a thing. God, create a pure heart in us and renew a steadfast spirit within us as well, God. Lord, we want to be all these things. We want to see people the way you see people. And that can be hard sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's not people that look different than us, Father. Sometimes it's the people that, that we care about the most. God, help us to see people the way you see people. God, help us to be quick to repent. Help our, our words, God, be pure. God, help our actions, the things that we do, let them be in lockstep with our heart, not be in spite of our heart, Lord. God, I pray that as we, as we walk this journey with you and our hearts become pure, Lord, that, that we will stick out, that, that the testimony that will be people coming up to us without us having to even say a word and saying, what do you have? What do you have that's different? And we can say it's, it's you because our pure hearts stick out like a sore thumb. Thank you for that, Jesus. Bless us, Father. Keep us safe. Thank you, Lord, for just uh, protecting every home for giving us peace in our homes, provisions in our home. And God, for those that are still working on the front lines of this, if this horrible disease, God, this horrible pandemic, God, we pray protection and safety over them as well, God, especially over them as well. Thank you for them, God. Bless them, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, listen, you can, uh, you can share this sermon if you like. You can, you can pray over it. And uh, listen, we'll see you. We will see you next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. And again, if you're not uh, ready to come join us in person, we'll see you online. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful week. Be blessed. We love you. Thanks so much for joining us. See you soon.